Welcome back to another episode of the podcast with yours truly, Chris Bakke and Michael Girdley. And today we're going to continue talking about rich and successful men named Ryan. In this case, uh, on today's episode, we're going to talk about Ryan Cohen, the infamous Chewy founder, activist, investor, Wall Street bets, Papa Cohen, and uh, known for almost turning around GameStop, not turning around Bed Bath & Beyond, and now on a pursuit to take down Nordstrom. Michael Girdley's wife's favorite store. So let's get into it. <laughs> uh, I think Cohen is the, like the most interesting like meme billionaire. That's basically the way I can describe it. Like you read the guy's Twitter and look at what he's done and the life he's lived. Like it is fascinating. Like it's so. Anyway, and he's I'm only thirty-seven. He's he's got a lot of shit posting, a lot of company buying, a lot of company rating to do. You know, he's early in the game. He's like me. Another Cohen, if I had had a successful exit in my career. <laughs> the the thing I like about him, if, at least the background of the Twitter, is it's either him talking about how much he misses his dad, which you got to admire that. I went through all of his tweets, and they're easy to read because they're all like four words, um, or making fun of himself for his height. Like hmm. he, how tall is he? he's not a very tall man, the best I can tell, <laughs> and he makes fun of it. Uh, he makes fun, he's very, you know... And I don't know why, like, because I'm a tall person, I guess I always gravitate towards issues of height. But this guy, like, he's just like, yeah, it's not like it's going to make me any taller. I'm like, that's a funny thing for a billionaire to say. Like, when's the last time you heard a billionaire talk about his own height? I don't know, but he's 5'9", 185 pounds. Like, it's basically me. I'm 5'10", 184 pounds. Me and Ryan are essentially, I'm go for now on, if anyone asks, Ryan Cohen's my brother. I'm just the poor of the, of, of the children. So let me tell you how this works. If they go look at the data on the dating sites... Like, and I'm just going to give you round numbers here. The average male is like six foot and a half inch, like on the dating sites. In reality, the human male in the United States is five, ten and a half. So, so there's some great inflation that goes on there. And the reason is, is because most women have filters on the dating sites where they're like, no, I don't want to talk to a man unless he's over six foot tall. So now you would say, Girdley, that sounds pretty good for you, right? Well, there's two problems. One is dating sites did not exist when I was dating, so I'm off the market. But the other thing is there's a high end of it. And because I'm over 6'5", I'm screwed. Like, it's zero for two. Old, screwed, not single. Like, no way it's going to work You're just for me. the, like, uh, change the white ball, get things off the high <laughs> shelf guy. That's all you're good for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I have a funny story for you about that. So my favorite restaurant in San Antonio is this grocery store called the Asian Market. And the main, the main Asian like population we have here is actually Korean because we have big military bases. People go to Korea, marry Korean women, and then the whole Korean family comes over. So there's all these like Korean restaurants and stuff. So there's this Asian grocery store with a kitchen in the back. And so I would go over there at lunch and it's like a Korean grocery store, right? And it's run, and, and in the back, the little cafe is run by these two ladies who don't speak any English. And like one time I go over there and like literally like one of the Korean ladies had like a, a little baby, like a toddler on the back of her back, like a papoose, you know, like leaning over while she's like running the walk and stuff. So like, you know, I go there a lot and I'm going there like once a week for a while and, it, you know, I'm gaining weight and the way that goes. And then one day, like I show up and they're like, oh, they're like so excited that I'm there. So excited that I'm there. And I'm like, dude, like I've made it. Like I don't speak any English. These ladies don't speak any English. I don't speak any Korean, but they recognize me like I'm part of the part of the group now. And they grab me by the arm and they like pull me back around to the kitchen. And I was like, oh man, I'm gonna get like a kitchen tour. <laughs> like I'm a VIP now. This is great. 
this is great. So I think I'm getting like this VIP tour. And then they pull me over to the corner and then they pull my arm up and they point it up at a, something on a tall shelf because they just saw a tall white man walk in and wanted to get something off the top shelf for them. That's so so I got it off the top shelf. I went sat back down and ordered some some kimchi. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> That's the story of my life. You're well, like really you in were... the crew. You're like, uh, you're one of the staff members. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, look at this guy. Well, while you were doing that, I looked up the uh, the shortest countries by average height. And can you guess what the number one country is uh, that's the shortest in the world? Like they're at their mm. people are just on average the shortest. Uh, Myanmar. I think you're close. India. Uh, Thailand. Indonesia. Mm. Standing Indonesia. at five feet, 2.2 inches is their average height. <sighs> so still taller than my wife, but shorter than the average American male in the U.S. So anyway, why don't we talk about Ryan Cohen? Um <laughs> so he's got a fascinating, uh, fascinating story and background. So he sold Chewy for $3.3 billion to PetSmart back in the day after growing it uh, all the way from inception to, to exit. They were based in Fort Lauderdale area, uh, kind of close to where I grew up. I mean, there really are a lot of like reasons we could be long lost brothers here. And um, anyway, really successful e-commerce pet brand. He paid fair wages. His whole thing was like he built, you know, he created all these jobs and they were able to make it all happen via, via an online internet brand. And then I guess he got bored or like he just wanted to find purpose and became an activist investor. And, and then around, um, around, what was it, like 2018, 2019, he started to take a large position in in GameStop. And so... Uh, oh, can you pause there? Yes. I'm sorry. There's there's a fact that I thought was super interesting. And if you said it already, I'm so sorry. But after he sold Chewy, what I understand he did is he took half the money and he put it all into Apple stock. And he put the other half of the money directly into GameStop. No, Wells Fargo first. That. It was well, half, okay, half Wells Fargo stock, half Apple stock. Okay. And at one point, he was the <laughs> largest individual owner of Apple stock. He owned... He he purchased five hundred and fifty-five million dollars worth of Apple stock, I believe, in twenty eighteen. <laughs> wow! Um, and and I, and then he did this interview that was pretty legendary. Uh, we'll we'll like post it in the in the YouTube. But uh, it was this interview, I think, with like Fortune or Forbes, and they were like, "Why did you do this?" And he was like, "I just think both companies are misunderstood, and they have like a great <laughs> shot." And I think Apple's like an amazing one because it's like, all right, you know, this is a um, this is like definitionally the blue chip, you know, tech stock. And so if you've made your money in tech, you know, I think back then, even still, they were paying like a small dividend or had just started that. So at 550 million, it's going to throw off enough cash to like fund his lifestyle just from like a 1% dividend forever. Um, and then also, I think, you know, back then he maybe did see it undervalued. Wells Fargo, hilarious to me because he's, <laughs> to my knowledge, and I did a bunch of research on this, he's never explained it. He was just like, I'm okay being wrong. I get people don't like Wells Fargo. I just think that they're undervalued. Um, <laughs> so before we move on, I looked quickly and GameStop, or I'm sorry, uh, Apple stock since he bought, I don't know if he's held that position, uh, but it's up 285% since he bought it. Wells Fargo stock is down 28%. So the That's net of terrible. this is like, he proved to be a pretty legendary investor in his own portfolio and then sort of, you know, started diversifying from those two positions into other things, which led to like the GameStop purchase. That's wild. So I did not know that. That's a, that's definitely a good, uh, that's a good fun fact to throw in the middle there. Um, revisiting the timeline of events. So it's actually August, 2020, Ryan Cohen discloses that he has a 9.6% stake in GameStop. They're his investment firm 
RC Ventures. And so that means he's now one of the largest shareholders in the company. Then in November 2020, he sends a letter to GameStop's board of directors outlining his plan to transform the company into a leading e-commerce brand. And we'll get into like what, what he talked about. And then in January 2021, so just a couple months later, is when the meme stock stuff started to happen. So you have Reddit, Wall Street Bets is kind of the core of this thing. Um, all of this support behind Ryan Cohen and this kind of whole sentiment of, of like, fuck the hedge funds and the short sellers. We want to be right. Like they're just taking advantage of these companies happens and the stock just, just, it goes crazy. I mean, you remember the pandemic stocks, it was like GameStop, AMC, all these random stocks just started taking off. And this was kind of the start of this weird phenomenon of like a Reddit, a, a Reddit, a subreddit can cause crazy price fluctuations. And then GameStop was like, hey, fuck it, you want to join our board? And he joins the board and then ultimately he takes over and he puts in a whole new management team. He has this whole plan to do things. GameStop ultimately launches an NFT marketplace in the in the, the worst time ever to launch anything NFT related. And now fast forward to today when um, reports are coming out that things are slowing down and Ryan's plan to just turn GameStop into this new behemoth is is basically shot. And they're now just going back to being a boring old retail business that sells games and needs to be cash flow positive. So this is this like crazy, you know, roller coaster of events, like arc to the top and then now back to kind of where they were previously. However, I looked and like GameStop's market cap is still up pretty significantly from GameStop. $6 billion dollars yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for, for a business that hasn't made money since, well, since uh, ya- as Last far quarter. back as Yahoo Finance goes, yeah, it's yeah. like, uh-oh. Yeah. And so uh, I just find it fast. I mean, I remember I remember reading all the Wall Street uh, bet or whatever Wall Street bets subreddit and all of the the what people call themselves Dgens and apes, and they're going to hold all this stock forever. And and then just the sentiment there was incredible. And I, as I started looking more into it, I don't know if folks listening know the details, but I was trying to understand like who started this thing, who basically called out that Ryan Cohen taking this incredibly massive position. Um, was was an amazing thing and caused this frenzy of stock market price or stock prices to happen for GameStop. And it's a Reddit user. His name is Keith Gill. And on Reddit, he goes by deep fucking value. So if you ever remember reading all the articles about um about Keith, he essentially was like this uh, another investor who was like, I have a spreadsheet that shows what Ryan Cohen is doing and this stock is undervalued and I support all these things. And, and it turns out, um, Keith took a $50,000 investment or took a, took that position in GameStop. And I believe he ultimately turned that into something like $60 million. And so he just, he had this massive run. He was kind of the catalyst behind, uh, behind this crazy thing, ultimately to the point where he was deposed and like was in virtual court over all the potential price manipulation stuff with GameStop uh, because of the the subreddit. So just a wild, like if you told someone that 10 years ago, they'd be like, what, what are you talking about? Like a, a forum on the internet's going to cause the stock to skyrocket 10 X in the middle of a global pandemic, like crazy times. Yeah. Reddit, Reddit is, is, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's so undervalued in the finance community, or at least it was over that time period, like the number of stocks that were being pumped to the moon. The other the other really funny thing about this era is I was going through and I was looking at some of these sites where you can track like, you know, here are all of the SEC filings that this fund has ever done, right? So if you look at all these top funds like 
uh, like uh, AQR, or Citadel, or Renaissance, or Bridgewater. You know, you 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 can go online and you can basically figure out what are they buying, what are they selling. They have to give quarterly reports on all this stuff. They have to give updates on their portfolio. The RC Ventures LLC portfolio, if you look, and and by the way, if you're not familiar with like how most of these hedge funds operate, they will have hundreds, sometimes thousands of different positions that they're like buying and adding. RC Ventures over this like two year period has one stock, and it's basically like their update was just like. We bought GameStop <laughs> and it's like, we're still holding GameStop. We're still, we're adding to our GameStop position. It's like so funny because the size of this position over this period is like $1.2 billion. Um, Crazy. And there are these sites like Whale Wisdom and stuff that you can like compare and contrast all these different portfolios. And similar portfolios are going to have like three, 400 different positions. This guy's just all in on one thing, right? Wells Fargo, yeah. Apple, That seems GameStop. to be his MO. I mean, that's kind of his MO, right? It's like, Took a took one high conviction bet on Chewy, then Apple, then Wells Fargo. No, who knows why, but whatever. Wells Fargo. Um, and then GameStop and then Bed Bath and Beyond. And now potentially Nordstrom. And so he just like he gets his eye on something and he says, I'm going for it. He's rich enough that he probably doesn't care if he loses the money. And so um it's it's a win-win for him. So the the pattern here that I think is pretty interesting is if you look at his background, right? So like Ryan is from Montreal. Uh, he was tutored kind of through life and early business. He's one of those like started flipping Pokemon cards when he was 13, entrepreneurial stories, um, which I think is true for some people, but I think a lot of people, it's total BS. Like my first business was 12, washing dishes, whatever, you know, like who cares? <laughs> but like, like Ryan, he had this like close relationship to his father who died early Ryan did not go to college, right? Like, and so like, I wanted to point, point this out as I was reading his background, I was like, oh, I've seen this before. And I have these entrepreneurial friends who don't go to college and they just think differently. Like, like I've gone to college. I don't, I think both of you went to college. Like we all have this college stink on us for right or wrong that causes us to think within a certain set of rails that these people that don't go to college, they they act differently. And like my best buddy or one of my best buddies who is an entrepreneur who did this, like like he basically went from like 50 bucks to like 50 million by like just like doing crazy deals that are like this Ryan Cohen thing because he just didn't know any different. Like he didn't go to macro or microeconomic classes. He didn't have all those freaky ideas like beat out of him. And like, you got to love that about this guy. And to me, it kind of ties back like, oh, my son's like getting ready to go to college. Like, should he? <laughs> you know, like you kind of, it kind of, it helps you, but it also hurts you so. is what I've seen. I, I I would encourage my kid when he turns 18 to not go to college and do something uh, more, I don't know, more exciting or more fun or just college is just this place where you go and you're undecided about what you want to do. And you're out, you're around a bunch of other, you know, other people your age, and you're sort of stuck in these fake classrooms all day learning bullshit topics. And so I tweeted, actually, I tweeted this, uh, I think six or seven months ago. I was like, when my kid turns 18, he has two options. I'll give him a hundred K to go to college or a hundred K to go buy a small business, see what he does. And I think like, that's way more interesting to me. Go fucking lose a hundred K trying to turn around a small services business here in Austin. Like, don't go lose a hundred K sitting in class, you, listening to some you. You are not going to give him $100,000. I've seen how cheap you are. There's no way that's happening. That is total crap. I have 16 more years to make $99,500, all right? Uh, look, okay. As the old fart on the podcast, 
when your kid is 17, like, then let's talk. Let's see if you're a big talker then. Okay. But, uh, when your kid's two, yeah, let's see what happens. We're going to be on episode 4,302, <laughs> and Michael's going to be like, all right, now's the time. Your kid just turned 17 and a half. I, I, I actually, so I actually did this. I gave my son $100,000. He is two. He lost all the money. Total idiot. What's wrong with him? <laughs> he just, I don't know where it went. I, I gave it to him in cash and I haven't seen it since. So I think he lost it. I don't know. <laughs> he went snipers. on he went on Chewy.com and ordered 14 tons of dog toys and they arrived in your yeah. He bought he bought a um, uh, hundred and a hundred thousand years of Netflix subscriptions to watch Coco Melon just all day long. It's great. Yeah. He, he bought a lifetime Miss Rachel pass. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I'm looking at the stock chart on my computer right now of GameStop. And when you look at when Ryan's, it's actually fucking incredible. Like the stock was sitting anywhere from three bucks to about a dollar back up to like three from 2015 or whatever, 2018, all the way to 20 early 2021. And then it went from four bucks to $81 at its peak when Ryan, uh, when, when, when Reddit pumped it to the moon, it's just, it's just uh, incredible. Like everyone's always trying to find these like growth hacks for making more money or increasing their value. And and turns out the hack all along was just building a cult community on Reddit. You know, you know what's interesting about this, this cult, and I'm glad you pointed this out, is the Ryan Cohen story is fascinating to me. Like the GameStop stock speaks for itself in terms of like, you can look at the chart when he bought, how crazy it went. Most of these people that are activists to a certain extent, at least like internet activists, right? Like you have people like Carl Icahn who are like obviously not on Twitter and not pumping things on Reddit, at least that we know about. He could be using an alt. But you have a lot of these people um, who like all the Bitcoin bros, their their shtick is like it is this daily cadence to like buy, 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 hold, 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 or hodl or whatever they say, right? It's this like annoying, insane thing that we've seen with NFTs, with crypto all these like bullshit options traders. You have people who are like taking the shit posting route like Elon, but they have this like constant stream of stuff. I think it's kind of crazy how uh, disengaged Ryan is from all of this. Like to my to my knowledge, I don't think he's like active on Reddit. Like Wall Street Bets just sort of like took his tweets and took over. I think yeah. he's done AMAs and stuff. But like it was really driven by these people who seemingly believed in him as this kind of like legend for like taking these big swings. Um, and so that's that's kind of amazing. Like he's not running this community that we know of. He's not like tweeting every single day about this stuff. Like he's tweeting about Carly Khan and his dad and like dumb jokes. Um, and so the amount of activism around him is is pretty impressive. So anyway, back to our original topic. I pulled up one of the tweets, which which is Ryan <laughs> meeting with Carl Icahn next to Carl Icahn. Uh, for those of you on YouTube, you can see that Carl Icahn, and it's maybe because of the angle but is towering over ryan <laughs> yeah ryan How, what do you, carl what do you also, think carl looks like he's going to a gender reveal party <laughs> <laughs> like he's either gonna he's take his pants or shirt off depending on which gender <laughs> for those he's listening got, he's wearing a bright pink polo and bright baby blue shorts <laughs> uh okay so here's here here's a quiz for you what do you think carl icon's listed height is uh if you look Six, it up on four. the internet Five foot ten. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I Googled it. It's right there. Carl Icahn height. Anyway. Yeah. Ryan's also sort of flexing his shoulders up. He's got great posture trying to get optimum height. Look, I mean, I think Ryan's a good looking guy. I'll give it to him. No problem. Um, Carl's a good looking guy. 
<laughs> Dude, if you're interested in a great video from a good-looking man, is there's that interview with Carl Icahn. It's like a five-minute Shaggy Dog story where he talked about when he was doing a hostile takeover back in the 90s and bought a company. And he kept talking to headquarters and he couldn't figure out what headquarters did. So he fired all these people in New York and then put some guy in St. Louis in charge. Have you ever seen this video? No. You got you to gotta see it. It's like, it's one of the most entertaining narratives about just using basic first principles about how you look at a business and breaking it down into simple things like, oh, you know what? The CEO should have his incentives aligned with the ownership as best we can. Mm. And then you look at things like Ryan complains about this, like, that's the way somebody like Carl Icahn looks at a business is just breaking it down to these fundamental principles like we shouldn't have extra people we don't need. The interest should be aligned. We should be here for profits. Like this company should exist for the owners. Like just using those basic people should work hard. Like those basic principles are what he applies. And it's just a really good story. I'll try to find the link and we can put it in the, put it in the show notes. Hi, I'm John Verbeck, president and founder of Verbeck Associates. Burbeck Associates provides CFO services to small and medium-sized businesses from zero to $30 million in revenue. We help business owners shore up the financial side of their business. I believe all companies need a CFO, a full-time CFO or a fractional CFO, someone to ensure the numbers are correct, that there's useful reporting, and to forecast results in cash flow. See my website at verbeckassociates.com for some useful resources and sign up for a free strategy session with me, and we can talk about your business. Thank you. When you look at Ryan's efforts against some of these overpaid, non-aligned CEOs, Bed Bath & Beyond is the one who comes to mind specifically. Like He went after Mark Tritton, who was the CEO and chair board or whatever. He was, he was important at Bed Bath & Beyond. In a time when Bed Bath & Beyond's closing stores, not doing any share buybacks, they are um, they're just not a profitable business. They're not doing anything innovative. And during that time, their stock price is cratering. And when you look at uh, what Ryan has said publicly, is like the the executive team at Bed Bath and Beyond did not own any material amount of Bed Bath and Beyond to actually care. And during that time, Mark Tritton made twenty seven million dollars in two years was his total compensation. And so you do have to. And then and then Ryan's gone on record to say things like, "I believe that if a that if a CEO leaves a company." After it has failed for the last two years, they should be required to pay back the compensation that they were paid. And, and so, I mean, obviously that's difficult to do, but the sentiment is so true. You have a lot of these execs, they have, they have gray hair, they've been there for a long time, they've sold a lot of their position, they're just making a ton of cash, they're getting paid like crazy to not run successful businesses, and their incentives are not aligned with the incentives of the company. And so, yeah, who gives a shit if the company goes under if you're making $50 million a year and you have very little downside to the company going under, except you might lose your $50 million a year job, but you've probably saved enough that you don't care. And then, and then Mark Trudeau went on to go take over Nordstrom and be, and, and he's continuing to be a board member at Nordstrom. It's like this continual failing up. Um, my friend Maya posted a tweet recently where she said something like people in tech leave, like the average tenure is only two years because they leave in just enough time where they're not responsible for their mistakes. And I feel like that is so true across across so many people in their jobs is they don't ever stay somewhere long enough to be held accountable for the decisions that they made. And this is just one of those things where you have all these execs who jump from board role to board role or company to company. And on paper, they look great. And they just left fucking carnage in their path behind. And so Mark Tritton's that example. And you know the fact that he's going to Nordstrom, he's just collecting a paycheck. It's incredible. I wish someone would pay me to do nothing at these companies. I would happily do it. 
Well, let me tell you, it's not that great. No, but but I think it, it ties back to a point, which is like the core thesis of like Andreessen Horowitz, the venture capital firm, is like, if you look at it, founder-led companies outperform. And you could say like, oh, like, is it because the founders are that much better than the hired guns? No, actually, on average, I think the founders are probably worse mm-hmm. scalable business operators because they're actually the people who are better at starting companies. But in the end, like what overpowers it is there's an alignment of interests. Like the founders own 20% of this company and it's 99.9% of their net worth. They're probably going to work a little bit harder than the guy who's just using this as the stepping stone before they go to the next bigger job and work their way up to the Fortune 500. And like, you know, one of the businesses I'm in is this drive-through coffee chain, right? And like, like I'm watching this firsthand with the Dutch Brothers stuff. Are you guys familiar with Dutch Brothers? Yeah, are they still, like which, which one of these two companies is founder-owned still that you're about to tell us? Uh, Dutch Brothers is not. Okay. Like the founders are out of there. So they spacked during the peak, raised a shit, to, uh, they raised a ton of money. I guess we're not supposed to say like, and I'm not supposed to curse as much, so sorry. <laughs> but they raised a bunch of money. But like, if you look at if you look at them, say, versus a Chick-fil-A, right? Or, or a McDonald's. Let's take Chick-fil-A, for example. Chick-fil-A owns their land, so they have it permanently locked down. They build their buildings. They set up these kind of relation, they quasi-relationship with their franchisees where they're there forever. If you look at what Dutch Brothers is doing, Dutch Brothers is maximizing short-term return on capital in order to benefit the executives. Well, what's going on there? What they do is Dutch Brothers goes and buys a site, they build a building, and then they flip it to an investor on a 15-year lease. Mm. By the time the 15-year lease is up, the company will have outperformed, but guess what's going to also have happened? That executive that put us into hypergrowth, ran the stock up, will have YOLO'd out, and all the landowners who have bought those things are going to be telling Dutch Brothers, I know what your economics are. Your rent is tripling, Mm. or GTFO. Right. Those are your kind of examples. And you can see that right now that if Dutch Brothers was much more founder led, you wouldn't have had this problem. And I think that's kind of core to Ryan Cohen's thesis. You can see him tweeting about it. He's like, why don't these people care about my company like they're an owner? Oh, it's because they're not. They're just hired guns. Yeah, I think this is this is very true across founder led companies versus non-founder led is just. These big company people don't want to do the nitty gritty individual contributor work that just requires rolling up your sleeves and doing the boring plumbing work of these businesses. Um, And so you have like, I guarantee you, if you put any of the exact team from Bed Bath & Beyond or who was previously at GameStop or even at Nordstrom now into an IC role or a more actually hands-on role at a smaller company, they would just have no idea what to do. Making presentations all day, People's job at big companies is to make themselves look as good as possible for as long as possible. And because it's in their incentive to do that in order to get promotions or get paid more. And so that always puts the company incentives secondhand. Sometimes it works out where sort of the, where the decisions that they've made uh, carry them through and are good for the company. But it's always a selfish priority that that big company people make when they're making decisions. And I've seen this all the time. There's this, uh, there's this great quote from uh, Charles Koch, who runs uh, Koch companies, right? Like $220 billion conglomerate. And he calls it charts, charts for Charlie. And like anytime he takes over a company, he'll like ask for a performance update. And then he'll go to the entire executive team and say, what have you guys been up to over the last 30 days? And all the execs are like, well, we've been working on this presentation to like show you the metrics, right? And then he goes like one level below to all the VPs. And he's like, what have you guys been doing over the last 30 days? And they're like, we've been gathering all the data to send it to the executives to like roll up all these metrics. Then he goes to like one level below to the directors. And he calls it charts for Charlie. Like the top like three layers at most of these big company organizations are just like 
presenting data to the top and to one another, right? And it's like this incredible waste of time, especially in things like what Coke's involved in or what Ryan Cohen's involved in, like retail, manufacturing, things like that. Do you think, um, I was thinking about like all of these separate threads, right? With Chewy, with GameStop, with Bed Bath & Beyond, and with Nordstrom. Is there this like anti-Amazon strategy that this guy has? Like I've never seen him talk about this publicly, but obviously Chewy is this category where it's like, Amazon's not good at delivering 40 pound bags of dog food, right? Bed Bath & Beyond, maybe the strategy is like, people want to like smell the shampoos, people want to like feel the loofahs, right? GameStop, I think is less clear. Maybe it's like people want to have that sense of like, community of like buying and trading used games. I think Nordstrom is super clear, like nobody's going to go on Amazon and buy like a wedding suit or a tie. Yeah. And so like, I, I, I kind of wonder, like, is he going to head in the, is, uh, is Lowe's and Home Depot and Tractor Supply? And like, are all these companies like future targets? Like, uh, they don't, they're, they're like kind of doing a good job competing with Amazon, but they're in these categories where like Ryan Cohen feels like he'd come in and, and add a bunch of value. So maybe, but I think if that were the case, he would have taken a sizable position in Barnes and Noble, which had a successful turnaround in the last couple of years. And so I don't know if people know this, but Barnes and Noble is kind of thriving right now. And uh, they took this whole anti-Amazon approach. You can, they, they, they redesigned a lot of their stores to make it cozy and warm and welcome welcome back people who love books and are sort of tired of buying books on Amazon. But you you might be right. Like he might be saying, I can go after a vertical that Amazon's kind of shitty at and, uh, and do it really well with one of these companies who doesn't know how to compete against Amazon. And he clearly does because Chewy beat Amazon in the pets race. And so, yeah, we could probably list like 10 or 15 retail businesses that are, that are struggling, um, and who Amazon is eating their lunch for sure that he, that could be targets on his list. I don't know. I can't obviously do them all at the same time, but Nordstrom's an interesting one. Like, why do you care about turning around Nordstrom when there's a lot more interesting companies to turn around or like maybe turn around Macy's, for example, they're doing way worse than Nordstrom or uh, no one shops at JC. I mean, if you, but. did you, did you see those pants that, that Girdley pulled up in that photo with Carl Icahn? I mean, those are like $1,100 <laughs> pants. This guy dresses pretty well. So I don't think he's like a Macy's kind of a guy. That's mm. his problem. <laughs> true. True. Well, I think it's funny that, you know, he had this whole grand plan for, for GameStop and decided to launch an NFT marketplace in October of 2022. Like for as smart as he is and as as well as he's done as a as an entrepreneur and an investor, that just seems like a short sighted decision. And I was thinking about this before the podcast. I've given this all of ten minutes of thought, but why not just launch a competitor to Steam? Steam does like eight billion dollars a year in revenue as yeah. a part of Valve to stream games on your computer. They're the largest platform where you just stream games. They're the reason why GameStop's been struggling for the last five years because everything's moved to to instant gratification, digital delivery of games. Why doesn't GameStop, they already have the relationships with all the, all the different game companies and the vendors and they have the distribution. Like, go build Steam. Don't build a fucking NFT marketplace to sell monkey JPEGs. It's really where the market's going. There was, there was, I read one of those articles, by the way, you're we preparing for today to talk about GameStop and, and him. And uh, I love how these, the only people these like, uh, these reporters going to get the quote on it. You know, it's a $6 billion stock. And they're like, we interviewed Harvey Zilka of Zilka Asset Management in Brentwood, California. 
He holds a $150,000 asset management position in GameStop. He <laughs> believes, and it's like, is this really the best <laughs> asset manager you could get, the best analyst you could get? Some guy that owns 0. 0.00001 of the stock. And he's like, everybody knows it's going digital. That's where the world is. I was like, oh, thank you, Harvey. Totally changes this is their everything. guy. <laughs> Way to go. This is the guy. I just, I, I'm surprised because they, GameStop in their loyalty program alone has 50, I'm looking this up right now, has 50 and a half million members as of January last year. So they're probably up more to date. You can think, you know, maybe 60 million, 70 million. That's a big chunk of people who would buy games directly from GameStop to be delivered, similar to how they've gone into the stores and do it. And, I don't, and that probably is a fraction of the number of people who shop at GameStop stores in a given year. I don't know if we have that number that we can pull up. And so, like, why just why not go compete with Steam? Why not go build like if your whole thing is bringing e-commerce digital and and revamping the entire company? I mean, maybe maybe I just missed this and GameStop's tried this, but it seems like the obvious strategy to go into when you have access to all the titles, all the games, all the consumers. You have the brand. Everyone would install a GameStop client to download games from and buy directly from GameStop. Maybe you can redeem it at some point for a physical copy in the store. Or like virtually trade up and trade it to different, I don't know, who knows what they could build with that. But it's just shocking to me that people got so onto the NFT train like they did last year. Yeah. Well, they're still doing $6 billion in revenue, if my math was right. That's 5. less than Steam. Rib. Is that less than <laughs> Steam, really? It seems like $9 billion or something like that. Yeah, they man talk about missing the missing the boat on there. So there is, I mean, the one thing they've done that it looks like it's done they really well is go in there and cut costs, right? This idea I was talking about, like, like shareholder activism is just basically like common sense, which I think is why Icon does so well with it. It's just like, oh, you know what? Like, I, I can't figure out what you do as a job. Um, I don't think we need that. I don't know what it, you do as a job. Job, like, <laughs> we'll just cut it and see what happens. Which ties back to I think I talked about it last week. Like, like it still blows my mind that Elon fired 80% of the people at Twitter and the site's doing really well. <laughs> like, yeah. I just don't understand. That's because he fired all the people who were making decks for him, who were getting the data to make decks for him, who were then below that one layer running the SQL queries to get the data for the people making the data for the decks for him. So like he just fired all those people and they're gone. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a whole new era in in like building companies separately. I was I read that Midjourney has eleven employees. Wow. I don't know if you guys have seen any of that like AI imaging stuff that they're doing with eleven employees. I mean, there's gonna be a whole new class of companies that look at what, you know, Ryan Cohen's doing, what Elon did with Twitter, and what's happening with layoffs across all of these massive companies and small Meta. companies where startups are cutting fifty percent of people. And they're going to go, yeah, like we just because of AI, because of streamlining, because of just like we got super greedy in 2020 and 2021. We now just need fewer people. Yeah. Um, and that's healthy. Who's going to employ the masseuses? Uh, Google has <laughs> the Google masseuses that they let go in California. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Massage Envy, like an actual massage chain, not Google. But I'm reading, I'm actually on a Reddit thread now. I Googled uh, GameStop Steam competitor to see if I'm the dumb one here. Maybe I missed that they tried this and it was really hard and no one wanted it. But I don't think that they've done this. There's some really good ideas in this Reddit thread that I'm reading called, if GameStop goes digital, they should become a competitor to Valve Steam. This was from two years ago, so January of 2021. And there's some really good ideas in here. Someone said, I want esports betting, $100 down on Call of Duty War uh, Warfare Gulag. Fuck yeah, GameStop should be doing this. Like, let's bring game sports betting 
to the mainstream. Let's bring all the digital stuff into GameStop. Like someone even said, um, you know, make it so that people can can trade games, but only for monthly subscribers. There's like so much that they can do. All they have to do is read some Reddit threads. That's it. You know, you know what, you know what, you know why I think it's because we haven't talked about the opposite side of this, which is the activist investor timeline, right? Mm. All you need to do is create the thing that pumps enough value and hypes the stock up to exit after two years. So there's the employee side of this, like why do employees leave after two years? But then there's the like Carl Icahn and Ryan Cohen criticism of like, why actually try to do a hard thing that might fail when like, yeah, the retail business is going to eventually die in 15 years, but like he's going to be in and out of the stock in three years. doesn't matter, right? Just do the hypey things, say AI, talk about NFTs if it's cool, do a metaverse play, like I think that that's the that's the criticism of private equity, right? Is like they're they're not long term holders for ninety five percent of these guys and, and these firms. And maybe that's not his plan, but I mean, I feel I think he's smarter than that. That that he had this whole plan. He sent the the letter to the board. They invited him on the board. And then he took over the company, replaced all the execs, and then like you have all that effort in. You're not going to try to hit a home run. You're going to make a fucking NFT marketplace, but. I don't know. I they I'm reading this this one post and so instead of uh instead of launching their own competitor GameStop sells Steam gift cards in the store. So, good for them. They they really made it. It's the 8020. <laughs> Look, right. I think I mean the, the, we've talked about Ryan a lot. I've told you about the being tall at a Korean restaurant, but I think the big takeaway for me here <laughs> is like like there's such an opportunity for people that are willing to take common sense stuff that and just question it and go against it, right? Like like Ryan has seemingly made a career out of that. Like he is somebody that learned through some reading, listening to his dad from mentorship. Like he got into this uh, Chewy business and it was just like an idea of like, nobody wants to fund this. Nobody thinks it can work. I'm going to go figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like that creates an opportunity there. Then like, Post Chewy, he's in a situation where like his his asset diversification was to be in two stocks rather than <laughs> one, right? And to to YOLO his way into both of them and just be like, who cares? Uh, and then go against the grain on these like businesses that everybody's written off uh, and have a contrary and a, a pr approach to it. Like to me, that's like, oh man, like I need to revisit my thinking and see what are the things that I I'm consistently like conventional about. And I have a chance to change here because of his example, like super cool. Um, before we end, I want to see, do you, do you guys think we could get Bed Bath & Beyond as a, as a uh, sponsorship before they go under in like two weeks? <laughs> they're, they're about to file get for their bankruptcy. last dollar. <laughs> they are. If anybody has connects to Bed Bath & Beyond, hit us up. Yeah, they uh, their their market cap right now is seventy million dollars. Their private funding fell through. They're trying to sell three hundred million dollars of their own stock to repay creditors right now. Um, R.I.P. to BBB. But if we can get them as a as a sponsorship, I'll take their last five thousand dollars happily. I mean, it's it's going down quickly. I think when we started this podcast twelve weeks ago, they were like one hundred and fifty dollar market or one hundred and fifty million dollar market cap, and we we're like, we could pull one hundred and fifty million together. We're down to half that. This is going great. We just have to wait it out and then we can buy all of Bed Bath & Beyond and turn them into uh, like paintball arenas when, and go-kart When tracks. your son turns four, he'll be able to spend his $100,000 and buy them. <laughs> That'll be their market cap two years from now. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, we covered our, our second back-to-back -back Canadian guy named Ryan. Wait, is Ryan Cohen Canadian? 
Ryan Cohen's from Montreal. Canadian. Oh, we missed yep. that. Did we say that in the beginning? Yep. Wow. Mm. <laughs> I knew <laughs> Someone I, was like, I wasn't paying attention. Wow. We really <laughs> love Canadian guys named Ryan on this show who are rich. The Rye guys. They're, yep. They're thinking outside the bun. all right thanks for listening make sure to like and subscribe on every single platform you can think of even if you don't listen and somehow you made it to the end of this episode please subscribe it helps boost us in the rankings and then we can afford to put food on my family's table somebody on twitter just accused me of being an idiot for wearing masks to keep from getting sick sometimes i hate twitter why are you guys on twitter I like. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm paying the eight dollars a month, and I just want to get value out of it for that. I guess I don't know. It's confusing. I'm, I'm paying now because I was shadow banned. I think. <laughs> oh, this, <laughs> did you follow this, Chris? It was so funny. Alex was like, "I'm shadow banned," and I like tweeted. I was like, "Dude, I just think your last five tweets kind of suck." I thought I was shadow banned too. You know what it was? My tweets were sucking. I needed to write some better tweets. <laughs> I had a yeah, but now now he has like a tricky A B test where he paid the eight dollars <laughs> to get the verification, <laughs> and he wrote a banger tweet this morning, and he's unsure. Like, was it the great tweet? Or was it paying the $8? And we'll never know. My tweet, that was look, the one A-B test. My tweet was look. inspired by your tweet, though. It was so good. Yeah. Is that the one, is that the one where he put the Pope eating at Chili's? That was no, I, I put the Pope at a coffee shop and said, I'm excited to back the newest emerging fund manager. But then Chris had one that was like, just gave the Pope 300 or like a, a term sheet sitting in a coffee shop. And that, that just cracked me up. Oh, Can you let me know before you have a banger idea so it doesn't look like I'm stealing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll coordinate this better next time. <laughs> Million percent. All right, thanks. Thanks all.